If you're a faith community leader, or your name was up there, even if you don't think you're a leader, but your name was up there, would you stand up uh, so that uh, those who aren't in faith communities can see you? Okay, so we got the sands in the back. Suzanne is not quite staying up. Hey, uh, Suzanne is also chairing our search team, uh, pastoral search team. Thank you, Suzanne, for your efforts and what you're putting into that. Um, we got Kevin and Lori Carnahan and Rebecca. Dave Robinson leads Rama. John Brannon and his wife Holly. Holly's not here today. We're missing Holly. Uh, and uh, Larry, Susanna, you can please stand up, Susanna Beck. Uh, she doesn't want to stand up. But these are the people to connect with and reach out to if you're interested in being a part of one of our uh, faith communities, our small groups, and enter more into community. Jim Lenahan is sitting in the back there with a clipboard and glasses, doesn't want to stand, but he's there. So you can touch base with him. Okay, thank you, faith community leaders. Thank you. <laughs> And I'm Matt. It's good to see you all this morning. Oh, Brian Kaplan, our children's director, is here. And uh, children, it's all in for Sunday of the month. Children, if you would like to head to the back to the tables, please feel free to do so. And uh, I'm sure Brian has lots of fun stuff for you back there. Happy spring break week. You are the ones who did not go away. Or maybe you're going away, but you haven't yet. Uh, I would love your prayers uh, for Jenna and I. We actually have a red eye tonight. We fly out tonight to North Carolina on a scouting trip to prayerfully discern where it is in the Raleigh-Durham-Chapel Hill area that God might have us land in. So we'll be looking at schools and neighborhoods and all kinds of stuff. So... uh, would really welcome your prayers. And next Sunday, the one and only Justin McRoberts will be with us, uh, both leading worship and teaching on Palm Sunday. And then Easter is coming. Resurrection's coming, friends. Um, Our text this morning comes in John 12, and it's this story of Mary anointing Jesus' feet with a year's worth of wages of perfume. Uh, It's a story, a very similar story in Matthew and Mark. Um, It's uh, just, in Matthew and Mark, they say a woman did this. Uh, Some believe they're two separate stories. Some believe they're the same stories with slightly different details. Um, Regardless, what I would like to do this morning to start our time uh, into the message is I'm going to read this text in full. And I'm going to do it twice. And I would love it if you would just simply, in stillness, invite God uh, to speak to you through this story. Uh, Pay attention to what God may be saying to you. Uh, Pay attention to something you may not have noticed in this story, if you're familiar with it. And if you'd like to, uh, just close your eyes, you may. Uh, However you're comfortable just sitting with this story. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. 
Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. God, as we reflect and meditate on this text, and as we read it again, I pray that you would open our eyes and ears and hearts to what you have for us. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. If you're comfortable, I'd love to hear what stuck out to you. The finality of you will not always have me with you. Yeah, the, the physical presence of Jesus not always being there. Yeah. Yeah. Mary had a liberation of knowing who Christ was. Yeah, this is huge, right? So it seems like Mary knows something that others may not be tuned into, that, that she is aware enough of something is happening uh, that, that others may not be aware of. Great. Other thoughts? Jesus and Mary were very much in the present mm. moment. And the disciples, especially who seem to be thinking of the future on your other things. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a sense of being fully present 
uh, that Jesus and Mary are and others may not be fully present or may, may uh, be more aware of their own wants and desires rather than this sacred moment. Great. Yeah, John? Uh, Jesus was aware that Judas was helping himself to the offering. Yeah, he was aware of it and did, didn't seem terribly concerned. Didn't seem to be concerned about, it, about, about that action. Yeah. Just allowing him to Yeah. Yeah, so I, uh, um, I'm still doing double duty sometimes. So I taught at this church called The Quest this morning, and, and someone said, it stuck out to me that Judas was even allowed to be a disciple, and then it hit me how deep Jesus' love was, that even the quote-unquote worst of us are loved deeply by Jesus. And, and just uh, the next chapter... Uh, John 13, Jesus washes his disciples' feet, showing the full extent of his love. Who, whose feet did he wash? It included Judas. Yeah. Christy? Okay. Beautiful. Yeah. The way he answered him, he answered him in a very um, godly way. Mm. Otherwise, if it was somebody else, he could have just rebuked him. Yeah. Tell him to go away. Great. But, but also, he knew Judas could drown out of Mary's kindness. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the way uh, Jesus responds to Judas in light of Mary's extravagant gift is just beautiful. They, just leave her be. Let her alone. Susanna. Yeah. 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 That's great. Mary's generosity, this extravagance on Mary's part is just unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, especially in that day and age, in that culture, to, to spill a year's wages worth of perfume is just this beautiful, extravagant gift uh, that Mary shows. Um, I want to create a little context building up to this story uh, and then look at this gift of Mary's and, and what uh, many would consider a wasteful gift and uh, what this might have meant to Jesus and what it means to us. Um, there's uh, been tension building between Jesus and the religious elite of the day. And in one conversation uh, with the religious elite, Jesus just suddenly declares, I and the Father are one. Uh, and he says this, and, and the text tells us in John 10 that they're just so appalled by this. It says the religious leaders, Jesus' opponents, picked up stones to stone him. Uh, they want this man dead. He is a threat to them, to their position, to their power, uh, to the things that they hold dear. And so they want to stone him. And uh, Jesus says, is it not written in your law? I've said you are gods, lowercase g. And, and Jesus is hitting on something here that this divine imprint, the divine image is present in all of us. And, and so even in Judas 
sitting around, reclining at that table, even in the religious elite who want Jesus dead, there is still this divine image that they bear. And that if they will turn from this rejection of Jesus toward recognizing he is of God, rather than trying to protect that which what they feel is their own, but recognizing this man is God's son, that that still is present there for them. And uh, Jesus, his relationship with Mary and Martha and Lazarus runs deep. It was like this, this was home away from home, if you will, for Jesus. Anytime he goes to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, it's like just this comfortable place. You, you know, you have friends like that where you just go over to their house and you just feel so at home with them. I, I think this is how Jesus felt with Mary, uh, Mary Martha, and Lazarus. And, and Jesus is not at their house at one point, and he receives word that Lazarus is sick, and then receives word that that Lazarus has died. And Jesus says to his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Uh, I just think this is a beautiful picture of what Jesus does in our lives. That so often we fall asleep. We're dead in some capacity. And Jesus shows up and says, I'm here to wake you up. I'm here to wake you up to my presence in your life. I'm here to wake you up to God's presence in your life. I'm here to wake you up to who I've created you to be. And so Jesus goes, and the first thing Martha says to Jesus is, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Uh, Warm welcome from Martha. And so then Mary comes, and the exact same line. First thing Mary says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Uh, I just wonder for how many of us in our lives, something happened, something tragic happened, a loss, a, uh, a, some, a deep kind of pain, and you have felt like, God, you, you didn't show up for me. You didn't show up for me in that. Uh, and I, I simply think that part of what is at the heart of the gospel message is that when we experience death, there is always a resurrection on the other side. That when we experience pain and heartache and loss, that if we allow God to use it and be shaped and formed through it, a resurrection is coming on the other side of that heartache and loss. Uh, doesn't minimize the pain, doesn't minimize the loss, doesn't minimize the heartache, doesn't minimize the death experience. But when we see God using it to shape us and to form us and to transform us, what we will experience is new life, new birth, and resurrection. And this is how the story unfolds. Jesus goes up to the tomb and Jesus himself weeps. But then he says, open up the tomb. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And it's dead man walking. Lazarus arises from the dead and he says, take the grave clothes off. This this is the simple invitation from Jesus uh, when we fall asleep to wake us up, to take the grave clothes off, to come out of the tomb and live into this God-focused, Christ-centered way of being that we were created for. 
And so, because of that, this uh, gets the attention of some people um, after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. It says, therefore, many of the Jews had, who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. Emergency meeting. You ever been a part of an emergency meeting? This is an emergency meeting. They're like, we got to figure out what to do about this guy because this is not good, what he is doing. And so their conversation, what are we accomplishing? They asked, here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Uh, What's the primary motivator of this meeting? Fear and self-preservation, right? This is coming out of a deep place of fear, and how do we preserve that which is ours? How do we keep that which is ours? How do we... The temple, the temple, everything is about the temple, and how do we keep it? And so they can't even see who Jesus is, that Jesus is of God, that, that Jesus is God's presence among us because it's a threat to everything they hold dear. And here's what I want us to see. The religious elite have chosen a way of living which is self-preservation, holding, clinging to that which they believe is theirs. And Mary has chosen a way of living that is an outpouring of self-giving love, pouring out a year's wage, not trying to cling or preserve or hold on to anything. An outpouring of her love at the feet of Jesus. Let's just imagine we're in that room together. Can you smell it? The text tells us the aroma filled the entire room. What what an extravagant gift. Uh, Some scholars believe that this aroma, and Jesus saying, she's preparing me for my burial. This is six days leading up to Passover, just before his death and burial. Some scholars believe that it was such a potent aroma that that aroma lingered all the way to Jesus' death and burial. Uh, Mary had tapped into something. She was aware of something, and she just pours out her love. And in in the Matthew and Mark uh, gospel text of the story of the woman anointing Jesus' feet, uh, it's interesting because John, he throws Judas under the bus, you know. John's a lot of fun. He All through his gospel, he refers to himself as what? The disciple Jesus loved. It's me. The disciple Jesus loved. I mean, there's rumors that Jesus rose from the dead, and and Peter and the disciple Jesus loved ran to the tomb. But the disciple Jesus loved arrived first. Just so you know, I'm faster. Peter's kind of a slowpoke. So here, John uh, says Judas 
complained about this, right? In Matthew and Mark, if you read the story of the woman anointing Jesus' feet, Matthew and Mark reported as saying, the disciples, all of them, grumbled and said this line, why this waste? Why this waste? This perfume could have been sold and given to the poor. All the disciples, why this waste? And I think if we're honest, you know, we all want to live from this deep place of love and outpouring of love like Mary. And in our best moments, we do. And yet, if we're honest, we we also will live from this place of self-preservation, won't we? Uh, We'll live out of this fear of what's mine may be taken from me. Um, Or we may see the way others are living and say, what a waste. Or we may look at our own lives, something we've given ourselves to, and say, that was just a waste. But was that all for nothing? Uh, Here's the haunting question. Did I just give all that time, energy, money, whatever it is, for little to nothing in return? Have you ever poured yourself into something and reflected on it and said, oh my goodness, what a waste of time. Uh, Maybe it was a marriage Maybe it was a child. Maybe it was someone you mentored or trained. Uh, Maybe it was a a work project that nothing came of it. You you presented it and nobody liked it. Uh, Maybe it was a a piece of art. Maybe fill in the blank. Uh, Have you given yourself heart and soul to something and reflected on it and just felt like, oh my goodness, that that was a waste. When we look at Jesus and his heart and attitude, his life of pouring out his love for three years and then dying, when we look at this story of Mary, uh, here's a thought. For Jesus, it is not waste. Nothing is wasted when you are living from that which is deepest within you. When you are living from that place that God created within you, it's never a waste. It may look like a waste to the world. It may look like a waste to your friends and family. You may feel like it was a waste. But in God's economy, when you're giving yourself away for the sake of others, it is never a waste. Another thought. Next slide. Jesus teaches us to pay attention to what we've poured ourselves into and feel like we didn't get the result we wanted. There is something sacred there to be aware of. Your sacrifice makes it sacred. And so when you've given yourself away to something or someone, and in retrospect or conventional wisdom would say it was a waste. No, 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 no. In God's economy, from the perspective of Jesus... It's never a waste. Your sacrifice makes it sacred. That thing, that person you invested in heart and soul, your sacrifice makes it sacred 
to God. Your outpouring love makes it sacred to God. Uh, Something else to be aware of when we pour ourselves into something. Here's this thought. We must recognize we have more control over our intentions and actions than we realize, and way less control over the outcomes. We don't like that, do we? So throw yourself into it. Give yourself fully to it and recognize you don't have control of the outcomes. Uh, If there is something God has planted within you that you know you need to pour yourself into, uh, just recognize God has equipped you to act and to do in beautiful and self-giving ways and you don't know how it's going to end up. You will have your goals. You will have maybe your outcome statements, metrics, whatever. Just know you can't control the outcomes. It is the giving of yourself to it. It is the sacrifice that is sacred to God. When you give yourself away for kingdom purposes, out of love and out of God's will, it is the sacrifice that makes it sacred. Uh, Back to looking at Mary and this perspective that it's a waste. Uh, We all fall into this trap, don't we? Easily judge the actions of others, easily look at what others are pouring themselves into and and say, it's crazy. Uh, Here's a thought. Why this waste? How often do we rush in with decisive announcements about things? Is there something else going on that you are not yet aware of or may never be aware of? You may be saying, why this waste? And the Spirit is saying, it is sacred. It is good. It is gift. So so I wonder for all of us, the next time we see someone pouring themselves into something that we think is a weight. What, what if we took a step back and simply said, God, what are, what are you doing in that? And we may or may not hear an answer, but simply recognize that in God's economy, everything belongs. And that when we are giving ourselves away, pouring ourselves out in the way Jesus pours himself out for us. It is never a waste. It is sacred to God. Uh, This image of Mary pouring a year's worth of wages at the feet of Jesus. I I wonder for us this morning, what is your perfume? What is your sacred gift that God is inviting you to pour out? Uh, What is the love within you that God is inviting you to pour out at the feet of Jesus for the sake of the world? What is the thing that God has placed within you that you know you just, you know you need to pour out? Uh, Because this sacred gift of Mary's and your sacred gift to God is simply a blip of a picture of Jesus pouring himself out for us. That When Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken, given, poured out for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup 
of the new covenant. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. Take it and drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, the pouring out of Jesus' love, the pouring out of Jesus' blood, the overflowing, self-giving love of the Creator God of the universe for you until He comes. Uh, I want to close um, with this quote about this story from Linford Detweiler of Over the Rhine. He says, I still crave the extravagant gesture, the woman spilling a year's wages at the feet of Jesus, the rarest perfume washing his feet and drying them with her hair, a gesture so sensual it left the other men in the room paralyzed with criticism, analysis, theoretical moral concern. For what? The poor? Or was it just misdirected outrage in light of the glaring poverty of their own imaginations? I wonder what it looks like for us to tap into the mind of Christ. Paul, Paul talks about we have been given the mind of Christ. We've been given a Christ consciousness, a Christ imagination uh, to use for the sake of the world. Uh, what does it look like to release poverty of imagination for the expansive, loving imagination of God? And then he says this. Extravagant, essential, the act of spilling something, a cup running over, the simultaneous cry of, you must change your life and welcome home. Uh, It's when we wake up to the ways of living that are driven by anxiety, fear, self-preservation, and we change, we turn towards love and grace and peace and forgiveness and God's abundance that we recognize we're home. We're back where we've always belonged, in the arms of love, home in God, at the feet of Jesus, pouring ourselves out on Jesus' feet for the sake of the world. God, we, we love you. And thank you for this story as a reminder of your love and one of your disciples, Mary, her deep, extravagant love for you. God, may you fill us more and more with that kind of love. And even when it looks crazy to those around us, that we would pour that love out at your feet for the sake of the world. God, as we take this bread and dip it in the cup, fill us back up with you, with your love. Remind us of the extravagant gift of your love poured out for us on the cross. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.